Matthew chapter 28, if you have your Bibles. Matthew 28. I um, began to, you know, just do some preparation for Christmas in studying and such and, and came across a very interesting thought that I hadn't had before about the gospel of Matthew. And it ends with the thought that Jesus is going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. And so Matthew is making this statement, he's putting it out, and it's very interesting if you understand that each one of the Gospels were written to different people to read for different reasons. Luke was writing this probably as a defense for Jesus. I mean, I'm sorry, for Paul. And he's writing this as in his defense and recording both the, his gospel and eventually the book of Acts. Mark is an action gospel. It's really more sh- just straight to the point. Matthew has 99 times he cites the Old Testament. And he's talking to probably people who were more familiar with God and the promises of God and those kinds of things. And he makes the statement that Jesus came to be Emmanuel, God with us. And I want to look with you at the closing statement Matthew makes. In Matthew 28, verse 20. Jesus is giving the great commission, go into all the world. And he says in verse 20, teach these things, uh, teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments I now give you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I want to consider with you this key statement that Jesus makes. I will all uh, with you always, even to the end of the age. One translation said, and remember, I am always day by day with you until the close of the age. I want to consider firstly, we need God with us. If we need anything in life, we need God with us. Jesus has just given them probably the greatest, overwhelming, and most daunting task ever given to any group of men. This is to take his message, his gospel, into all the world to permeate that. Now, it's hard for us to totally grasp this today with churches on every corner, with the thought of Christian music being played, you know, even though it has become consumerism and paganism and all, I get all that, but, you know, Christmas still has that underlying understanding it's Jesus uh, and you go into stores uh, and in the midst of all of the crazy cons- you hear you know uh, you know the angel said peace to her uh, goodwill towards man and you know uh, Jesus the son of man came to take away our sins and all the great lines in these Christmas hymns that were written that he's giving them and he he brings this understanding you know what in this daunting task I'm giving you 
Whatever you're going to face, I am going to be with you. That's a tremendous promise. Because we have all sorts of responsibilities, problems, headaches, nightmares, uh, trials, tribulations, good days, bad days, all of these kinds of things in life. Most of us, if you're being honest, you face a couple of things in life. Some of them are just kind of dull and in the background that they've been there. Maybe uh, it's debt or uh, or some kind of uh, 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 pro- long-term problem. Some of us uh, face literally life-changing, consequential decisions and issues from time to time. But Jesus is giving them a confidence. I am going to be with you. This confidence would take Peter to Rome, Andrew to Egypt, Thomas to India. They would take this message all over the world because in this was not just a commission, hey, go, but go and I am going to be with you. We need God to help us. Exodus 33 The Lord replied to Moses, verses 14 and 15, the Lord replied and said, I will personally go with you, Moses. I will give you rest and everything will be fine for you. And Moses said, if you you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. Moses understood, I need God to be with him. This could have come out of Exodus 3 when God told Moses to go stand before Pharaoh. And Moses begins a chapter and a half of excuses of why this is not going to work. I don't speak well. They won't believe me. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if the sky turns green? What, you know, he gives all of these reasons why this might not work. And God says, I will be with you. That Moses now later has come to this place. He's dealing with the children of Israel. He's got, you know, problems. They're, they're, you know, they're complaining. There's all been the, the organization and the, and the, you know, all of the details involved in trying to get uh, three million people to do one thing, you know, and uh, to be, you know, if you can get 30 people to do one thing, you know, coaches uh, will try to get their teams, you know, basketball, it's only five guys on the court, but, you know, try to get them all to do the same thing. Never mind like soccer teams or bigger teams as you go to try to get them focused. Uh, And he says, you know what, if you're not with us, I'm not going. We need your presence. We need you to help us. Another great task God has given Moses to do. And he said, I will be with you. We need God. Because in that is two marks. One is, if God is with us, then we are his people. He he has the choice of who he could be around, and God's speaking, and he says, I will be with you, and you will be my people. But not only that, he says, I'm going to help you. I'm going to protect you. 
Joshua chapter 1 verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Again, Joshua given a great task to do. And he says, you know what? I need you, God. And God says, I'm going to be with you. I will never leave. I'm going to always help you. The great promise of God being with us. Like I said, Emmanuel. The Lord is with us. Gideon, this runs all through the Bible. Gideon chapter, Judges chapter 6 verse 16. And the Lord said to him, Gideon, I will be with you. And you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting one man. Over and over is this understanding throughout the Bible. I could talk about David talking about God being with us. He tells Solomon, God's going to be with you. You need to have him with you and such. And so there is a glorious understanding of protection and strength, a mark of who we are. It's scary to think we could gather in church. People do this. Gather in church. God's not there, and they don't notice. It's just scary to think. What scares me is not that I, you know, I'm casting any judgment on these. What's scary is I, we could do that. We could go through the motions and not really have God with us. And think, well, look at what I did. I served, I paid, I prayed, I. And miss the understanding that God, spirit and presence needs to be here. He's also giving them tasks. The end of Mark chapter 16 and verse 20, the last one, it said, And the Lord was with them, confirming his word. Through signs and miracles, God was with them. We need a dimension of God. If God is here, we need to see the hand of God, the fruit of God moving. Sometimes that's going to be conviction. Sometimes that's going to be healing, salvation, whatever it might be, deliverance. Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through the fire, uh, through the, uh, when you go through uh, the rivers of difficulties, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flame will not consume you. He says, you know what? When you're going through things, God's going to be with you. There's going to be a supernatural dimension. Grace is a supernatural dimension. There are times in our lives we need the grace of God. We need a dimension of God to help us. And this is the promise here. One man said, God has called very ordinary people to do very supernatural things. 
This is what he's given to his church at that moment. Go into all the world, teach, go into all nations, making disciples of them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm with you always, even till the end of the age. So let's think about inviting the presence of God. Many of us have had that awkward moment where someone shows up to your house you weren't expecting at a time you weren't expecting. Right? You ever had that? I I was sick. I remember the guy came to our house. He was the tax inspector for the city. And and I'm like, you know, snot-nosed in my bathrobe. And my wife was out probably buying me chicken soup or whatever. And so, you know, and I'm like, hello. (laughs) He took a step back like, I I need to look around your house and maybe take some measurements. And Is that okay? You didn't finish the bait. No, no. Okay, thanks. All right, bye. You know, awkward moments. You know, God does invade people's lives at certain times and uninvited. Thank God for that. I really, when God started dealing with me about salvation, I hadn't really invited him in to do do that. He just kind of barged his way in. Said, hi, I'm here. But as believers, there are certain things we can do to extend an invitation to God. One, of course, is obedience. God is looking for our obedience. He's just given them a task to do. Like you're going to go into all the world. And they did, thank God. It's, it's a fascinating study just to look at where the 12 or the 11 apostles at this time as Jesus is talking. Judas is not there. Paul isn't saved yet. Where they all ended up. Where they would go, how they would, Paul, Peter goes to Rome, Ma, Mark was, uh, he, he ends up in, uh, um, uh, in modern day Russia and on it goes and how different disciples ended up in different places. And so, uh, you know, and uh, fascinating how they did that. But God wants our obedience. It's going to be hard to keep the presence of God when you're not willing to obey God. Genesis 26, verses 1 through 3, it says, There was a severe famine now that struck the land, and it happened before in Abraham's time. So Isaac moved to Gier, where Abimelech was king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Live here as a foreigner in the land, and I will be with you and bless you. Hereby I, will, uh, I hereby confirm that I will give you the land to you and your descendants, just as I solemnly promised to Abraham, your father. Here's what God tells Isaac. There's problems. There's famine in the land. He says, you go down to Egypt, you're on your own, buddy. You are on your own. But you stay here, I'm with you. 
I will bless you. I will help you. Verse 6 tells us that Isaac sowed his seed and he reaped a bountiful, or some translations say a hundredfold harvest that year in the middle of famine. He picked the one stock investment that paid off when the market was crashing. Put that in modern terminology that many people can understand. God said, I'll be with you. Verse 28, after this, of Genesis 26, Abimelech comes to Isaac. And he says with his general, Phicol, so if you could imagine that, that would be like President Biden walking in with the Joint Chiefs of Staff, sitting in the service going, you know what, folks here in Rochester, we can tell God's with you guys. I mean, that's, that's the dimension that's happening here. They reply, we can plainly see that the Lord is with you. So we want to enter into a sworn treaty with you. Let's make a covenant. This was obvious to others. God's with you, man. You obey God. Look at that. The hand of God is on your life. Obvious to others. God also is moved when we put faith in him. Hebrews 11.6 says it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that, he is, that God exists and that he is the rewarder of those who sincerely seek him. Faith goes beyond circumstances. There's good days and bad days. Like I said, there's times where you're going to feel, you know, you're going to get out of bed jumping, and there's other days where you're going to want to pull the covers over your head and wish that the whole day, the whole world would just pass away and you could just stay right there. I've been in both situations. That you and I face this, but faith says, regardless of what I see, God's going to help me. Regardless of what I'm going through, God's going to help me. There'll be people who will try to bring a bad report. Numbers chapter 10 tells us about the 12 spies that go into the land to spy out the land. Moses picked one from each tribe and 10 of them come back with a bad report. 10 of them say, oh, you know what, we're grasshoppers in their sight they're giants they even saw us that way which they didn't but that's a whole nother sermon and so the reality of this begins to permeate through the children of Israel and they all begin to murmur and complain and they say you know we can't do this Joshua and Caleb stand, they're saying come on we can do it come on we can do it and they're like nah But Numbers 14, they reconsider. God's already spoken that they're not going in. And now they're like, now we can do it. And Moses tells them in Numbers 14, 42 through 45, do not go into the land now. You will only be crushed by your enemies because the Lord is not with you. 
When you face the Amaleks and the Canaanites in battle, you will be slaughtered. The Lord will abandon you because you have abandoned the Lord. And the people defiantly pushed ahead towards the hill, even though neither Moses nor the Ark of the Lord, the covenant, uh, Lord's covenant, left the camp. And the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in those hills came down and attacked and chased them back as far as Horman. God wasn't with them. They had violated God in their act of disobedience, their constant complaining and murmuring that we are going to die in the desert. You brought us out here to kill us. God said, finally, from your lips to my ears, that's, that's what you get. Faith pleases God. God wants us to believe him. It comes with lifestyle. Of course, you can't please God if you're living in sin. Whether that's the sin of omission. To him who knows what to do and doesn't do it, to him it's sin. Or if it's the sin of commission, you commit a crime, you commit murder, you commit adultery. You do an act. Samson lost his relationship. The Spirit of the Lord left him, and he didn't even know. Faith, God is pleased by. Also, and especially in groups, when we pray. Matthew 18, 18, Jesus said, I tell you this. There were two or three agree on earth concerning anything you ask. My Father in heaven will do it. Where two or three are gathered together as my followers, I am there among them. This is specifically in the aspect of prayer. This is specifically in the thought of a prayer meeting. And I know God does move when we pray alone. And I have prayed and there's the closet prayer where there's times where you don't take everything out to public. I understand that. But in our text, in Matthew 18, Jesus makes it very clear that when we gather together to pray, there's something, there's a dimension. God says, I'll be there. I'm going to come and visit that. I'm going to move. There's a dimension in that. Whether that is the prayer meeting before a service or the corporate prayer that we have during a service. There is something about that prayer that God says, I'm going to help you. I'm going to get involved. When people are agreeing together, I am there and I'm going to do something that's beyond their ability. See, this is why we need God to be with us. John 15, 5. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them, they will produce much, much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That God says, I want to help you. There's benefits if you'll be with me. There's the obvious that we've talked about God's strength and protection. But also in your life, there's going to be a couple of personal marks. One is going to be peace. 
Five times in the New King James or in the King James Bible, five times, God is called the God of peace. Not the peace of God, right? Pray and be anxious for nothing and the peace of God will protect your heart. And five times he's called the God of peace. In the Old Testament, that term was called Jehovah Shalom, the Lord of peace. That when God is with us, there's a peace in someone's life. It's very interesting that sin makes people very anxious, angry, frustrated. Romans 15, verse 33, And now may God, who gives us peace, be with you all. Amen. Something about having the presence of God that gives us peace, which is the opposite of confusion and torment. Now, sometimes there's an open door. People are tormented because of past sins and they need God to bring deliverance to them, yes. But I'm talking about there's people who have peace and then they get involved in sin and it becomes very obvious in their life that the issue is sin. This is why they don't have any peace. They're in conflict, torment all the time. Self-will brings confusion. I want, but circumstances will always conspire against you. I mean, come on, be honest. How many of you want to be rich, young, and good-looking? And circumstances have conspired against you. That you couldn't get at least one of those, if not all three, right? But if you want God, then there's peace. Isaiah 41, verse 10, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Peace of mind that is there. There's a confidence in life that we can have. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you. I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So I will not fear what mere people can do to me. He says, you know what? You can have a confidence in life. This isn't to be foolish and stupid that, you know, I'll go get in debt because I'm confident God will be, you know, that's not what it's saying. But it is saying that the understanding that in life, when you face shortcomings and difficulties, we all can relate to a shortcoming when it comes to the issue of money. God will be with us. He's going to help us. You can have confidence He's not going to fail you. Isaiah 42, verse 
16, I will lead the blind of Israel down a new path, guiding them along an unfamiliar way. I will brighten the darkness before them and smooth out the road ahead of them. Yes, I will indeed do these things. I will not forsake them. The picture there is going into places you don't know with a confidence. In the dark. We've, you know, we've all done this, been somewhere, even maybe even in your own room that you're familiar with. And you get up in the middle of the night and it's dark and, you know, and, and maybe you kick something or you stumble on something, you know, that wasn't supposed to be there. Maybe it was an animal or a clothes that someone left, maybe yourself in the middle of the floor, whatever. Right? And it's, or you've been in a strange place and you're not familiar and you don't know, you know where the light switch is to turn it on and, you, you know. He says, I'm going to guide you. You have confidence. You can go. Any potholes, pitfalls, I'm going to smooth them right out. And it's going to get brighter and brighter as you go. There's confidence that you can have in life. Before the children of Israel were going into the promised land, Moses encouraged them in the book of Deuteronomy. Have confidence. God's going to be with you. See, when we're obeying God and God is with us, we can have that great confidence. God is going to help us. Let's go back to our text now. Jesus makes two key promises in this text. Matthew 28, verse 20, teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always even to the end, the age. That word age could be world. It's that word cosmos, where we get worlds or time from these kinds of things. But two key words I want to bring out. One is always. Always. Not only on the good days. You doing well? All right, I'm with you today. Are oh, you not doing well? Forget it. You're struggling. I'm done with you. Because it's not on the good days we're really looking for God, are we? As much as in the struggles, in the problems, the difficulties, the uncertainties of life. It's then we're looking for Him. That we can know that God will always be with us. That he's not going to give up on you. The thought here to the end of the age or the world or time. Whatever it might be. There's numbers of translations. But the thought remains the same. God's not going to give up on you. Philippians 1, verse 6, being confident this very thing. He that began a good work in your life will complete it until the day Jesus Christ comes back. He is not going to turn away and go, nah, 
You know what? Nah, forget it. I gave up. I'm done with you. That's a great promise. That God wants to help us. No matter what you go through, He wants to help you. If anything is true, we need God. We need God, and we can rest and claim this promise. Sometimes we're going to have to claim it. Sometimes that might be the only thing you have to claim. God, all the circumstances, everything seems to be conspiring against me. But you're with me. You're going to help me. And I can rest assured in that. And that's sometimes all we can do is just claim that promise. Sometimes we can stand confident and be that bold. Sometimes we can pray, act in faith, and obey God to say, God, I need you to help me. And I'm going to do these things, and you are going to be with me because that is what you promised. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Maybe you've come this morning and you're not right with God. You're not born again. You've never asked Jesus Christ into your heart and into your life. God won't be with you because of sin. I remember my friend, we were sinning. He had disobeyed his father. We were at a party and a whole bunch of other things. And the car that he wasn't supposed to take, he took. And the sunroof ended up getting, the car ended up getting messed up. Vandalized, basically, by, unfortunately, by us. And as we were driving home and, and he's leaving, he said, I don't know if there's a God up there, but he surely isn't with me. He, isn't, he doesn't like me. God loved Timothy. But the problem was Timmy was living without any regard for God's purpose. God's word, God's plan. And if you do that, then God can't be with you. That's called sin. But the hand of God, the invitation of God goes, come. If you'll simply surrender to me, if you'll simply allow me to help your life, then you can experience God's grace, God's hand, God's favor, God's presence. You're here this morning. You're not right with God. You need to get your heart right. I wonder if you'd slip up your hand. Pray for me. Anyone at all. You're not right with God. Maybe you're backslidden. The mark of a backslidden person isn't necessarily the depth of their sin. It's the lack of the presence of God. We can always find, backsliders can always find someone who they can point to and say, well, I'm not as bad as them. And thank God, maybe you're, you know, that'll avoid jail time or something. But the real issue of being backslidden isn't the depth of your sin. It's the lack of the presence of God in your life. 
you say, you know what, that's me, Pastor. I'm not right with God. If that's the mark of being backslidden, I'm not right. I need to get my heart right. Slip up your hand. Pray for me. I need Jesus to help me. Changing the call then to Christians. What we need more than anything else is God. God with us. From Emmanuel to I will never leave or forsake you. Let's all stand. These altars are open. I'm going to worship God, give him time this evening, sing a song. You are my strength.